We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Hello, hello. This is the best of the Joe Show. I am Dan Day, and I am about to play you back some of the best audio that you have heard on this radio station over the past 24 hours. But before I do that, let's do some headlines. Reports are that as trade talks continue, the Texans want Dolphins O-lineman Laramie Tunzel as part of a deal for defensive end Jadavian Clowney. Clowney made it clear yesterday that if he does not get a suitable contract, he is willing to miss games next season. The Finns play their final preseason game tonight in New Orleans against the Saints. Kickoff is at 8 and you can hear it right here on 560 The Joe WQAM. Due to impending threat of Hurricane Dorian, the season opener between Florida State and Boise State has moved from Jacksonville to Tallahassee. Kickoff is now set for Saturday at noon. The Canes are off this week, but play next Saturday in North Carolina against the Tar Heels. The Marlins suffered their 19th shutout of the season last night, losing to the Reds 5-0. Cincinnati goes for the four-game sweep tonight. First pitch is at 7-10 here in Miami. Nets forward Wilson Chandler has been suspended 25 games for testing positive for PEDs. The missed games will cost him close to $600,000. The Heat, they tip off their season October 23rd versus Memphis. 15-year-old Delray Beach native Coco Goff will face Hungary's Tamia Babos in round two of the U.S. Open today. The U.S. women's national soccer team will take on Portugal tonight at 7. The two will play again on Tuesday at 8. And now, let's take a step into the day spa. A Washington man recently called to report his truck stolen while he himself was in the act of robbing a store. Apparently, the man left his keys in his car, and while robbing the store, someone on a bike saw the keys and stole the truck. Is that irony or karma? Also, a Georgia woman was recently arrested after not only biting her Uber driver, but also trashing his car. Uh-oh, sounds like my hot mess of the day. Check her out on my Twitter page, at Dan Day Radio. Now on the weather, brought to you by Hylia Park. Tonight's forecast should be rainy with temperatures in the 80s. For the best poker promotions in South Florida, visit Hylia Park Poker Room. Come win your share of $350,000 in monthly high-hand giveaways. That's more than $10,000 a day in high hands. Why play anywhere else? Visit HyliaPark.com for more info. Dan Lebitard Show. Those guys are always into some wildness, especially with things in South Florida getting kind of wild. So they take a look into the Dorian craziness that seems to be going on, who they want to ride the storm out with, and then they have the best story Suey nominations. There's a bit of panic all around South Florida and all over Florida as people are bumping into each other in the grocery store, elbowing each other in the neck to get a bottle of water. My wife said she's up in Parkland, which is up by Orlando. You cannot get gas anywhere. Yes. Anywhere. Yes. Um, oh, look, Allison just realized she forgot about gas, something she can't get from Amazon. She just realized. <laughs> but she, soon you'll be able to. She just realized it. It just spread across her face where she was like, oh, something I forgot. But you guys, I heard Billy and Allison arguing about who they would most in our crew or least in our crew like to be trapped with in a hurricane scenario with no electricity. And Stugatz, I heard him say, I'd, I'd be okay being trapped with Billy. And then I heard Billy 
clearly say, you don't want to be trapped with me. Last time there was a hurricane and I parked in a garage, I just crashed into somebody because I was afraid in general. <laughs> That's half the story. I said I am the perfect person to be with during a storm. And this is why. Well, Stugatz, why don't you tell him your reason? Well, hold on a second. Allison asked, who would you most and least want to be with in a hurricane from amongst our show? And I said, Billy, because he covers my weaknesses. He would be prepared in a way that I would never be. And so I chose Billy. If and- he gets there and doesn't get into an accident because of his fear on the way there. Here's the and problem. I said. No, no, no. Wait, hold on a second. Here's the problem. This thing existed just for people to walk and Allison say, oh, Allison, I want you to be the person. For- and Billy. He's the last person I would be. You're walking around. I heard you tainting the jury pool out there on the TV because when you didn't get the responses you wanted in here, you started going to Imahina like you're friends with them, who you ignore all the time, by the way. You never talk to anyone in that room until it's time for that poll, and then you're like, Billy would be the last one, right? I heard it happen. I heard it happen. Now, I'll tell you this. Before the storm, when we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, do I overreact at times? Yes. The last storm, whose name I'm forgetting, Irma, the last storm, Irma, was coming as a Category 5. That thing was a monster, and all of the Irma. models, except the European model for whatever reason, all of the other models were coming right at us. And I said, you know what? My car is going to have a tree fall on it, I, or it's going to flood. I need to do something with this car. So I tried to take it to FIU, my alma mater, who I proudly represent, and had a very difficult experience dealing with the FIU police that day, but I'm not going to get into that. Because what happened, some guy starts backing out of the garage, and he has one of those trailer hitches on the back of his truck, and he's about to hit me with this thing. So I back up. While I'm backing up, some other monster rips around the corner and hits me from behind and I'm still going to say that that's what happened even though I got the ticket because I believe that I may have backed into that guy. So then what happens? I now have to deal with this guy and then the insurance, the deductible is ridiculous so I take it to this place. I'm like, don't worry about it. I have this place. And the police were not on my side that day. The FIU police and they were saying, what are you doing here? And it's like, dude, I spent like... You know how many tens of thousands of dollars I spent coming here? I'm going to park my car here if I want to park my car here, okay? I paid for this parking spot and all those parking spots around it. Don't get me into that. So then I took it to this repair shop, and that guy was another thing. That guy's a con man, and I don't remember the name of his business, so I'm stop not going to get into that right now. Like, Please, stop stop this is who you picked. No, I take this it back. This is who you picked. I, I take no, it back. I choose anyone supplies. else. <laughs> I have the supplies. I mean, the it's, you're out of control. That's you, know what I told, you know what I was about to tell that guy? And I'm not a man that gets angry. What I was about to tell that repairman, he told me this is going to be $1,000 to fix. I go, okay, fine. Then he, then he takes apart the car and he goes, you know what? It's $2,000 and I can't put the car back together. I was about to tell him, listen, what? buddy, it's not <laughs> my car. I don't care if you put it back together or not. There's no police report. Like, try to catch me. But I didn't tell him that. I just paid him the $2,000. I suck it. I have that no idea what he storm. just said. I don't know. I don't know what he just but said. But you wouldn't want to. Who would Who would you pick? Who did you want? Uh, I would probably pick Roy. I would pick Roy because he's efficient. Yes. He would get things done and he wouldn't bother me. You're welcome. He was second on my list. I'm starting to rethink my decision. <laughs> Dude, I'd have everything you want cheese it tuna everything. if something happens to gods wow. imagine this as like wow. the calm like wow. oh let's get this together wow why what we, why don't we go put well, batteries in your car the car runs forgetting about gas forgetting all these rechargeable about? batteries you can't do anything with those batteries there's no power you can't make your car run please don't ask me to talk to him i like uh billy i like your conversation of who is most rooting for a hurricane to fly right over our houses because i believe it's public adjusters yes yes <laughs> yes Let's get to this Sui category. Best story told over the last year. And now, the Sui nominees for best 
story. Aaron Rodgers accidentally insulted the Dalai Lama. One of my favorite stories from the trip was, you know, you're supposed to kind of bring a gift, right? So found out uh, he likes chocolates. So some people brought some chocolates. And, and I wanted to bring him, a, you know, a game-worn jersey from the playoffs. You know, it's kind of meaningful. Got the C on there with the stars. And, well, his translators uh, didn't quite understand the nature of the gift, and they were wondering why there's a little bit of uh, dirt on that jersey. <laughs> it's only a, uh, you know, a used, uh, worn-out jersey. Um, so we, we tried to let them know, you know, through our translators that that was, uh, you know, actually a special thing and not uh, just an old, dirty one we found in the back of the locker room somewhere. Billy Gill's knee surgery story. You know, I had an extra bone in my knee that was removed via surgery, and I wanted to keep it, and the doctor told me that I could keep it, and then they shredded it and I couldn't keep it. <laughs> Good story. Vern Lundquist's most embarrassing moment on TV. It was a Monday night game, Cowboys and Philadelphia, and what I intended to say <laughs> was the Cowboy Philadelphia Eagles are ripping the Cowboys punt coverage to pieces. <laughs> oh no. It did not come out that way. Oh, sorry. No. I'm sorry about that. I mean, I did have literally an ice-cold shiver go from my feet up to my armpits. <laughs> and I looked over at Brad Sham expecting help, and Brad had his back turned to me <laughs> and was just about to fall off his chair. He was laughing so hard. <laughs> and so I thought, no well, hope. my producer... Well, for sure is going to help me. Uh, Gary Brandt was his name. And I looked over, and he was on his hands and knees in the back of the booth. I got no help whatsoever. Adam Gase's Peyton Manning story. Favorite Peyton Manning story. First one that comes to mind was when he actually got Matt Prater's, Matt, him and Matt Prater got in a big kind of prank war in Denver. And I think Peyton won that. And we learned, never mess with somebody with more money than you. <laughs> he got Prater's car towed or his truck towed during practice. And the truck loaded it up and then actually had his car. We're at practice. All of a sudden, it comes driving around the building with his truck on the back and pulled out of the driveway. And you see Prater just sprinting after the tow truck, <laughs> trying to catch him before the guy left the facility. Caller Tony ruins our peed next to me segment with a totally random Peyton Manning story. Tony, you're on ESPN. ESPN Radio, go ahead. Hello, this is Tony. Yeah, yeah we we've established, established that. that. I really didn't uh, pee against anybody famous, but I did run into uh, Peyton Manning at a Red game, and he gave me his autograph, and uh, he had a, a, a Sharpie in his hat, but I did get his autograph. Tony, that was a terrible story, terrible. poorly told. Yes. David Sampson tells a story about two players fighting. We had two players fight, and I'm forgetting which they were. But I know Chris Hatcher was one of them, and it was another sort of, you know, middle relief type guy. They fought over a girl, and I, when I say fight, like an actual physical fight where there was a DL stint. I thought it was petty because either they both could have been fine or one of them could have been fine, but I think one of them was someone's wife, so that complicated it. Chris Hatcher broke Sam Dyson's jaw. Sam Dyson, yes. People <laughs> were standing on line to break Sam Dyson's jaw. But yes, it was Dyson and Hatcher. Man, they were crazy. Gary Payton describes Larry Bird's trash talking. In 
two years I played against Larry Bird. He was really, really, really great. He he was one one of the best basketball players I ever see play. Shoot that ball. He'll tell you where he's gonna go and on a, on a spot. He'll say, "I'm gonna shoot this three in your mouth right here in the corner," and he'll go there and he said, "I'm gonna take two dribbles and you're gonna try to jump and then I'm gonna hit you and I'm gonna run down and I'm gonna look Amazing. at you and it's gonna go through the net." And that was incredible <laughs> to me. He's always say he's gonna give us Christmas presents and then it's gonna be a jumper in your mouth, something like that. <laughs> Marty Smith's terrible peed next to story, ah! one of the worst stories told in show history. I heard y'all talking about peeing beside famous people, and I peed by a lot of famous people, but I have a really funny story. So when I was really young, like right out of college, I got hired by NASCAR to write for their league website, and so I'm super amped. So in order to do that, to get started, I have to go to this orientation type of thing at NASCAR headquarters in Daytona Beach, Florida. So I'm waiting for this orientation to start in the lobby of the NASCAR headquarters. And I'm looking around, and I'm wide-eyed, and I'm like, man, I'm so anxious. I really got to pee. So I go in this bathroom in the lobby. I'm in there. I'm using the bathroom, right, like I'm peeing. And in walks Bill France Jr., the chairman of NASCAR, the man who built this thing into the, like, thrust NASCAR into the national consciousness in that era. So I am freaking out. He's at the urinal beside me, and I'm going through this thought process in my mind, like, what are the rules of engagement conversationally when you have your junk in your hands? Like, I don't know how that works, but i got to tell this guy, I'm letting, I am so appreciative that you believe in me. Thank you so much for this opportunity. This has been the dream of my life to work for NASCAR, but I don't know how to say it, so I just go for it. And I said, Mr. France, I cannot thank you enough for this opportunity to represent your company. I will not let you down. I will be passionate. I will be dogged. I will work so hard. He begins to speak. I expect this great moment of inspiration, this great welcome. He says, who the hell are you? <laughs> it is uh, one of the worst stories I've ever heard. <laughs> Pat McAfee's Peyton Manning casino story. In a casino, French Lick, Indiana, he walks past me by while I'm at a roulette table, slaps me on the, the right ass cheek, All right, gives me a gun and a wink, and says, I'll see you tomorrow morning, and then says, how about that red 18, right, with a walk-off. And I'm like, well, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, just slapped my ass here in this little small town in Indiana, and then he told me to go on red 18. I put all of my chips on the red 18 this is a true story everybody else at the table looks at me after peyton leaves because obviously peyton's a god everywhere but in indiana it's next level they look at me they go uh we should probably do that too huh? and i'm like absolutely every single chip on the table was like 1 30 maybe 2 a.m at this casino was on red 18 it looked like the leaning tower of pisa it looked like me. the the washington monument and obviously red 18 hits i tell them the next morning i'm like yo did you know that when you hit the gun in the wink on me and said red 18 everybody bet on red 18 and then red 18 hit he looked me dead in my eyes and just said yep and then i was just like holy why this dude is next level and from that point forward i was like if this dude tells me to jump i'm a jump sarah spain's michael jordan story i'm gonna say something and i just want you to tell me how it makes you feel okay. just do it oh, it makes me think of michael jordan mm. so i can't say how it makes me feel on the radio oh, oh wow wow Oh, Michael Jordan sex symbol? Michael Jordan, yes, would be up until maybe five or six years ago, my number one hall pass. Really? What's yes. the biggest celebrity you've ever been 
faced with. Ooh, I was fairly drunk at Michael Jordan's son's high school graduation party that Drake and Lil Wayne performed at. And I may or may not have given him my card and said, just in case you ever need any, which is play. embarrassing. <laughs> There's a lot to, lot to unpack. <laughs> there. Trying to follow Dad, down. Who got the card? Was it Drake? Was it Lil Wayne? No. Was it Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan. His son. Michael Jordan. Senior. His heiress. What? The I father gave him my card. Did it say hall pass? You ever needed? Anything? Why would he need your help? What did the card say? Hall pass. Uh, it was one of my old cards from when I lived in L.A. So one side was my acting headshot. <laughs> no, this is the other oh. side was my phone number. Oh, oh, character. And how long before he called? Still waiting. How did you get invited to this party? <laughs> this woman that I worked with had been on several vacations with Juanita and the kids, almost as a sort of chaperone of sorts. And so she knew that I was a big fan and invited me to the party. And I had just met Michael two months earlier at a Super Bowl party. And I acted a little strange okay. so that when he saw me again two months later at his kid's graduation party, Still remember he was it. like, what are you doing here? What did you do the first time you met Michael Jordan that he remembered how strange you were? Michael Jordan must meet hundreds of people. He was in a VIP area of a party that I was covering the red carpet for. I discovered him before the party truly began when he was alone and no one knew he was there and he was near the corner where the red rope separated the vip and so i asked if he might take a photo with me and the security guard kept saying no and i kept upping the ante as to why he should take a photo with me and i may or may not have said when you got divorced my mom emailed me and said there's still a chance and i may have said that when i was growing up you lived one town over and i used to go to your house and stand on top of my car to look over the gate and see if you were in front of you that's great and i may have said that i had a plan once to go trick-or-treating and then faint at your door so that you'd have to bring me inside while you called 911. Naturally, the second meeting was you showing up at his son's graduation party. Yes. But he did eventually take the photo with me because either he thought it was funny and compelling or he was scared. But Charles Oakley was with him and took the photo, but part of his thumb covered the corner. How much distance was the restraining order for? Still pending. Do you think the photo might have just been to pass around the security detail? Potentially, I've never been back. Got to love all the stuff Dan Lebetard has not only done over the years here in South Florida, but what he continues to do, and he continues to do it well right here on this radio station weekdays from 10 to 1. Up next, Greg Likens and my man B. Monroe pinch hitting for Joe Rose and Zach Krantz. They're talking with Dave Hyde, getting you ready for tonight's preseason game between the Dolphins and the Saints. Keep it tuned. This is the Best of the Joe Show. Round two of the Best of the Joe Show, where we run back some of the best audio that you've heard on this radio station over the past 24 hours. I'm Dan Day. Give me a follow at Dan Day Radio on Twitter. And you know, I love the Joe Rose Show. You get up in the morning from 6 to 10 weekdays and just listen to those guys talk it up about sports. Of course, Joe Rose used to play for the Dolphins. They had the day off today, though. I guess too much excitement with the Dolphins and the Saints playing later on tonight. Kickoff is at 8 right here on 560 The Joe WQAM. Filling in for him, the very apt Greg Likens and Brian Monroe. I call him B. Monroe because I know him like that, I guess. They're talking with Dave Hyde, getting you ready for tonight's huge preseason game. How Clowney might fit with the Dolphins. How the Dolphins have a very short list when it's must-keeps. Tough quarterback calls. Enos. 
playing the quarterback blame game, and B. Monroe talks some Coach Saul stories. So we welcome in Dave Hyde, columnist from the South Florida Sun Sentinel. You can hear him here on QAM from time to time as well. Follow him on Twitter at Dave Hyde Sports. Dave, a very good morning to you. How you doing? I'm doing well. Waiting for this huge fourth preseason game to come tonight, right? Oh, yeah. I can tell. <laughs> I just the excitement is uh, buzzing through the phone line there as you, you're anticipating that. Hey, Dave, we'll talk about the game in a moment, but uh, your most recent column I wanted to discuss with you, would a trade for Clowney really fit into the Dolphins' rebuilding plans is the question you ask, and I encourage everybody to read it in the South Florida Sun Sentinel, but what is your takeaway? I've read the, the column, but where, where are you when it comes to this interest that the Dolphins are showing in Jadavian Clowney? Don't like it, don't get it, wouldn't want to be a part of it. I, I Look, everybody knows they need a pass rush, and, and in the short term, if we're talking this year, um, I guess you would have that in part, although today's news, is it makes it even more confusing. I heard you guys talking about uh, the Mike Garofalo report that Clowney's willing to miss games and, and as he sorts out his future, because, look, he's got a lot of muscle in, in where he goes because he hasn't signed the franchise tag. But, you know, when's he going to be ready to play, first of all? It, it, let's say the Dolphins get him tonight. When would he be ready to play? He's going to miss a few games or at least uh, not be up to full speed for a few games because he's missed the offseason, he's missed preseason. So if you're talking a one-year rental, it's really less than a one-year rental. The whole idea of this being the big signature move of uh, this new franchise and regime just confuses me a little if, if they go down that road because do you really want to invest huge money in Jadavian Clowney? And I look at his his numbers, his production. He, he's shown he can be a force, but he's also shown he's not a consistent force, and 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 that would scare me in in, in a rebuild. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'll probably stay away from Clowney, but you know there are questions out there about you know they might trade this guy, they might trade that guy. You know who would be some guys that you say you wouldn't touch in this Clowney trade? Who would you have to keep on this Dolphins roster? Well, it's it's a short list. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but but. In Houston, they need a tackle, and, and, and their fans are clamoring for Laramie Tunsil. I'm told that didn't happen, that Laramie Tunsil wasn't part of any deal. Well, thank and God for that. He, nor should he be. I, I mean, that made, would make no sense for the Dolphins to trade Laramie Tunsil when they really need to be adding Laramie Tunsil quality to the offensive line. Um, so there's him. There's obviously Xavier Howard. Um, and after that, I mean, you, you, uh, I, I have to think uh, who else on the roster is untouchable because it's a, you know, I, you know, Christian Wilkins, obviously the number one pick here. You're not going to trade him. There's not a whole lot of untouchable on the Dolphins roster. Yeah, right? the only other guy I could think of would probably be Mika. But other than that. Yeah, I was thinking if, right, you, okay. if you want to make it five, maybe you throw Jerome Baker in there considering how high this coaching staff is on him. But you're talking about five out of 53. That's not very much. Yeah, there's not. Look, they're, they're a talent. Uh, everybody knew they were going down this road is the odd thing about the Jadavian Clowney rumor. So that's the part I don't get. That And I, and I wrote really my column, okay, what's the plan? What is the plan this year? Because I'm, I'm getting confused over what they're trying to do. You know, have a full rebuild or a, a overnight rebuild. Because I thought it was going to be uh, the way they were going in the offseason, which was, 
you know, from the Steve Ross press conference where he said we're going to do it the right way, even if it means, you know, winning a few games. Um, from that point on, I thought, okay, there's going to be a lot of pain the first year. And then Chris Greer, they didn't go out and get anybody that wasn't, you know, a one-year deal or they could get out of a contract real quick. They didn't get any big-name free agents. They pushed Got a lot of draft chips for next year. So the obviously, you add all that up, and okay, they're not going to do much this year, and they're going to wait and see the offseason next year and the draft. and So that's why the clowny thing is kind of confusing to me. I'm with you. Dave Hyde, columnist on the South Florida Sun Sentinel, joining us here on 560 WQAM, talking about the Jadavian Clowney situation. Also, the other big Dolphin storyline obviously revolves around the quarterback position. And Dave, it's felt like there was going to be a foregone conclusion that Ryan Fitzpatrick would be the starter, but but Josh Rosen, as Brian Flores has admitted, has made this decision much more difficult. Now that we've gotten to the fourth preseason game and the Dolphins are one of 32 teams that has not named its starting quarterback, who do you now envision starting week one for this Miami Dolphins team? So I think it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't think, if, if not, that would be a surprise to me. Um, and they're doing, you know, Brian Flores is doing an odd dance step here, which I'm just going to put down to a rookie head coach who, who you know, look, he's, I'm giving him a lot of leeway this year because of the talent on the team and, and uh, you know, he, the real burden of a rebuild falls on him just from pain aspects but I, I don't understand what he's doing here because come on this isn't high school or college you just name your starting quarterback and then move on they weren't even naming who's going to play today tonight well josh rosen might play but he might not start and i'm like what well if he's going to play if, if he's going to play you start him right i mean that's so i think there's a lot of uh I attempted misdirection here, but look, they played Fitzpatrick through the half of the third preseason game. If they were serious about playing Josh Rosen or starting him, they should have played him in that game to try to get him ready for the regular season. Yeah, everything you say makes sense, Dave. I guess what what I've taken issue with with Brian Flores is that he has seemingly elevated rookies or young players into uncontested position battles. A bunch of guys in this roster that are playing, regardless of whether they're the best guy or not, because it makes sense the Dolphins need to see if they're going to be part of the long-term future, but he's not applying the same approach to quarterback. And I would say that I've been on board with Fitzpatrick most of the way, but he hasn't been that much better than Rosen. And so that's where I'm not sure why there has been kind of a double standard from the quarterback to the rest of the roster. How do you see that? I'm completely that Josh Rosen should be playing, should be starting. Again, you're going down a rebuild. How does a 36-year-old guy who's never been in the playoffs help you that much i get he'll he'll set up the offensive line probably better in protection and and won't be confused in the first few games you're playing opponents like that uh very physical defenses that can confuse you but if the if the idea is okay do you have a franchise quarterback or not get him out there and and let him have a full season to learn and and improve hopefully and all that stuff the, the, the funniest part of this is that a common idea as from fans as to why they would start Ryan Fitzpatrick is to keep Rosen healthy because the offensive line isn't good enough yet. I'm like, well, wait till they get an injury or two, and then then where are we going to be with that offensive line in the fifth week? I see what you're saying, Greg, and I agree. There are a lot of uncontested start. I mean, they fired the offensive line coach because he wouldn't play put the rookies in, and now the rookies are in there as they should be and and are playing. But if you're going to go down the road, go down it completely. Don't go halfway. I'm a little against that. I wouldn't put him in the 
first four, especially from what I gather from what Flores is saying, is that Rosen just isn't completely comfortable with the full playbook and, and understanding schemes on defense and getting them out of situations. And that's why I believe Fitzpatrick will be the week one starter. But you've covered this team. You've been at practices. You know, in your opinion, who do you think has been the better quarterback, you know, day in and day out, not just from the preseason games, but the overall body of work? Well, if you're going back to last when they start May, I guess when all the OTAs, it was clearly Fitzpatrick for through all the padless practices, basically when they when they uh, were installing the offense. And yeah, let's face it, a 15 year veteran is going to be quicker on the uptake than a than a second year player. But if you're going the last two weeks, what I've seen, and, and I have been out there practices and now practices are closed, but you know it, it, it's gotten a but the gap has narrowed to the point play a 22 year old not a 36 year old i mean it, it, on this team for what they ha- what they're trying to find out that that'd be my logic dave hyde columnist from the south florida sun sentinel joining us here on 560 wqm greg likens brian monroe in for the big dog joe rose and zach krantz on this thursday morning uh, i want to transition to the miami hurricanes Dave, because it, it was a fun first weekend of college football for everybody locally. Fun for who? Well, we got to see yeah. see the Canes Man. and the Gators play. I know the outcome wasn't what you know, Miami Hurricane Brian Monroe wanted, but um, Dan Enos was publicly quite critical of his quarterback, Jaron Williams. I'm curious, Dave, what did you think of not only Williams' performance, but also Enos's comments? See, I thought, I thought Williams played better writing a column on deadline and so I'm looking up and down and I'm not studying Williams play by play like Enos obviously did. We're not used to hearing criticism like that of a college player, much less your starting quarterback. But I get what I get what he's doing and I and I've listened to Enos enough this off season to say that look, that's his personality. That's who he is. He's gonna come at you with you ask a question you're going to get an honest answer, and that I appreciate. So the mystery to me in that game, beyond the penalties and the food fight fun that was out there, was Miami started in, in a really effective, their first drive, the, the short passes that went for two-yard passes that went for 18-yard gains with the run. Um, very smart. And, and look, that scripted in the, in the first drive and all that. And obviously Florida would adjust, but they really – didn't effectively keep at that. And, and I'm wondering if Enos, you know, that's part of, you know, what he's questioning. They started throwing downfield and, and they didn't have the protection. I, I don't know. I would have liked, I wasn't at that place where Enos talked, but I, w- I would want to know some of the specifics of what he didn't like. You know, I heard, oh, he took sacks and all that stuff, but who wasn't he throwing to or what should he have got out of or, or what was he hoping that, that Williams would do more? But I have no problem with the coach criticizing a guy in public considering he's probably doing the same in private. Yes, I am so with you on that one, man. Everyone kept saying stuff. I'm like, what are y'all talking about? It's not that bad what he said. Like, you go back, you go little Don Tollinger, go see what he said about us oh, in the public. Yeah, right. This is child's yeah. play compared to what Coach Saul used to say about us in the public. But I'm with you because that was the most disappointing thing for me in the second half was I expected Coach Enos to do a little bit more of halftime adjustment because Todd Grantham, the defensive coordinator for Florida, he changed the complete game plan. Normally they sit and man the whole game. He went to more of a zone scheme, and he said, well, I don't need to really blitz anymore because I can get pressure with three and four man up front. And he was. He was still getting pressure. I expected Enos to change it up 
a little bit just to say, okay, if they're getting three and four man protection, why don't we just go ahead and go six man protection, set the edges and just run three man routes and have our guys beat theirs. But if I had to say a criticism of them, that would probably be my only one for that game. Yeah, it's interesting the public reaction to coaches' criticism. First of all, in my role, you ask a question. I appreciate an honest answer. Yes. Okay, because what's the easy thing for, you know, well, he, he did a good job in a lot of phases. We've got to make improvements. We all know that, et cetera, et cetera. But what he's saying behind closed doors to Williams he's, is what probably louder than what he said publicly, but the same tone and idea. Why not put that out there? It's not hurting Jaron Williams any. I mean, I mean, if he can't take that, then you got the wrong guy at quarterback. But um, it's always interesting publicly when a coach speaks honestly. Oh, my God, did you hear that? Well, I've never sat in, and Brian, you sat in, in coaches' meetings. I haven't, but you, you talk to players, you know, great players, guys who had great careers, talk about what that's like, and it sounds painful. Yeah, fans don't want to know the truth. Trust me on that one. They don't, they don't really want to hear the film break down because you know every single play that you had wrong in the game before and you got to go in that Sunday film room where it's a team meeting yeah you get ripped in front I remember of you everybody. mentioned Don Solinger I remember when when he had Willis McGahee and and Clinton Porras in the backfield and I couldn't remember I can't remember which one one of them was having trouble picking up blitzers he couldn't block you know and obviously if a running back can't block as we all know that's one of the that's, that's the first thing you yep. got to be able to do to uh, stay on the field and and he's and he just said, "What? Look, he, he doesn't. He's no no good to me. Here it is. I, it was McGay or Portis. I, you know, I think it was McGay. Back when you look at their future, what they did. Uh, he can't get on the field. He can't block. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so, listen. So, the one thing, know. the one thing about Coach Saul that you have to respect. You know, when you're when you're an 18 year old kid, 19 year old kid, you don't really understand. You're like, man, he just ripped me. But Coach Saul will always tell you, if I'm yelling at you, you're good. If I'm not saying anything to you anymore, you got to worry because that means when you're done and he wants to challenge you as a man to say, is he going to go ahead and react the exact way? And I believe, I think that was Willis because it was, he had said something about Willis. He had said, said something about Q Hill another time about blocking. He goes, you know, in Coach Solinger type voice, bro, I could get a cone to do what these guys are doing out there. They're useless to me, bro. I can't even play these guys. And it's like, damn, he really just said that. And for us back then, we had to read it in the newspaper. Now they get it on their phones, but he wants to see how you're going to react, and he wants to challenge you, which I, I appreciate from Enos, and that's how you see Jaron Williams responding in a positive manner from what Enos said. Now, here's the interesting thing. I thought he played a good game. I thought, look, with no no protection, um, I'm – I thought he delivered what you could expect a first-time starter to, to deliver. So it was interesting for me to hear Enos' comments that, that uh, he wasn't happy with it. Yeah, it, it really was. And I, I think that certainly there's a different perspective inside that the meeting room's there <clears throat> compared to what the fans and everybody else are seeing. But, Dave, I, I would think we all agree that Gerald Williams has a bright future if he can yes. build on that performance, which is an encouraging sign for the Hurricanes football program. Dave, we always appreciate your time. Encourage everybody to read you, column in the South Florida Sun Sentinel. Follow him on Twitter at Dave Hyde Sports. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Dave. All right, guys. Talk to you later. That's what I'm talking about. Some Dolphins and some Hurricanes football talk right there. Getting ready for that big football game. Well, big preseason football game. It's my two favorite football teams. I'm originally from New Orleans. I make my home now here in Miami, so it's kind of a win-win, lose-lose situation for me. That kickoff coming in just a few at 8 o'clock. We'll get you the pregame, the postgame, the whole game. But next... We're going to check in with Stephen A. Smith. He's got something to say, but then again, 
when does he not? It's the best of the Joe Show. This is the best of the Joe Show. I am Dan Day, and every weekday from 1 to 3, you can hear Stephen A. Smith right here on this radio station. He is like a sports preacher. He preaches. Oh, yeah. He preaches. Oh, yeah. Kind of trying to sound like Stephen A. Smith. I'm sorry about that. Stephen A. Smith, never sorry. Right here, he takes a T.O. for T.O. Plus, he's got Jerry Jones back. T.O., Terrell Owens. One of the greatest wide receivers in the history of the National Football League, Hall of Famer, worthy of being the first ballot Hall of Famer, got jobbed on that issue. Took issue with my me not having Antonio Brown projected as one of the top five receivers in 2019. Mind you, he's mis- he's misconstruing what I'm saying. Antonio Brown is all world. He's top two receiver in the game. One of the greatest receivers we've ever seen in NFL history. But projected for 2019. What I'm projecting is that his numbers will slip a little bit because he's playing with Derek Carr. And as a result, and along with the fact that the foot injury along with the helmet stuff derailed him from spending time developing that chemistry with Derek Carr. I don't think his this year will be as good as last year or the year before was with Ben Roethlisberger at Pittsburgh. That's not to take a stab at Antonio Brown. I know he's great. T.O. is misunderstanding that I am saying I'm questioning Derek Carr and John Gruden. I'm not questioning Antonio Brown. That's why T.O. was wrong. But I appreciate it. And T.O. knows his stuff, by the way. He really, really does. To the phones we go. Let's go to Rudy. You live with Stephen A. Go ahead, Rudy. Hey, what's going on, man? I'm I'm good. Go ahead. Real quick, I just want to make a point about uh, running backs in the NFL and how they how they get paid. Okay. And just to Zeke's point and Le'Veon's point. So, I feel like they, they get paid based off of their age and, you know, statistics rather than their actual usage. Okay. Um, and I haven't seen a team, you know, besides the Patriots that has made it to the Super Bowl without a, a good running game or made it far in the playoffs. So, I would argue that you need a running back. And they also – they go top five in the draft as well, as well. So if they're not that important, then why are they used so much and drafted so highly? That's, that's the only point I want to make. Got you. Appreciate the call, man. Thank you so much. Let's go to Chris real quick. You're live with Stephen A. Go ahead. Hey, what's up, Stephen A? I'm all right, man. You only got a minute. Go ahead. I just want to say uh, I'm a big fan, and I will admit I'm a massive Cowboys fan, have been since I was seven, and I will agree with you. Uh, you know, with Cowboys fans in general saying next year's our year, and that's why they kind of make you sick. And I used to be one of those fans. I won't de- deny it. I'm no longer like that. You know, I, I get I love my team, but I'm sick of saying next year's our year. Now, I love Ezekiel Elliott. I think he is the best running back in football. But I will say I have a problem with his holdout. Now, as you said many times, he's a top five pick. They built that team to run the football. Did he not think when they drafted him that high that he would get used accordingly? Well, he's not, he's, not, he's not questioning. I gave you a chance to get to your point. You took too damn long, so I apologize because I got to get ready to get on out of here. Thank you for the call. But what I'm telling you is that Ezekiel Elliott, uh, you know, listen, you know you're going to have heavy usage. If you're a starting running back in the National Football League, you're going to get the ball. There's just no question about that. Uh, but he wants his money. And and listen, he ain't, he ain't sweating the usage. What he's saying is that he deserves to get paid because he's produced and he should be paid as the number one receiver. I think it should be number two personally, but that's just me. Now let's get to this Ezekiel Elliott thing with Jerry Jones. And John, do we have sound from Jerry Jones? 
Because I got to tell you something right now. Jerry Jones is starting to make me laugh. He really, really is. Because, you know, in case y'all didn't know, he's my buddy. He's my buddy. And for those of you who said, Stephen A., we know, we know, he's your buddy. I reckon you're right. I reckon you're right. You know, it's a pleasure meeting my man, my buddy Jerry Jones, and his son Stephen Jones at the Super Bowl party Roger Goodell and the NFL had. That's where I saw him. And they were so kind and so pleasant to me. I just I just have to say that, uh, you know, I didn't anticipate that. And uh, it was kind of touching. Having said all of that, Jerry Jones got some issues. Jerry Jones got some problems because Ezekiel Elliott ain't there. And without Ezekiel Elliott, nobody's expecting the Dallas Cowboys to do much. That would be except Jerry Jones. Listen to what he had to say. Men of our Dallas Cowboy football team, this is all of us here today. Uh, missing one, but we'll we'll have him on the field. And I'm not joking. <laughs> if he's not there early, he'll be there late. So uh, we we'll take him any game we can get him. We want him here early, but of course they're important. But uh, uh, we certainly, if we were dealing with an injury or we were dealing with a suspension, then we would uh, use him. This is a marathon and. Uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 fresh legs, uh, we'll use him late. We don't have any movement at all. And uh, the same way we look at anything, uh, we'll, we'll get ready for the Giants. And if he's not there to Giants and he comes in the next or the next or the next, or we'll use him for the playoffs. Sounds like a good negotiating position if you're listening to most owners. And then you remember that this is Jerry Jones. Albeit 26 years ago, it was Emmett Smith who was the league leading rusher and a Super Bowl champion that Jerry Jones played hardball with and made weight two games before Jerry Jones ultimately elected to pay him. And that was after the Dallas Cowboys started 0-2 and Jimmy Johnson came up in there breathing heavy and was just speechless like, (sighs) (sighs) why? Because I need my running back and you're messing with my team and there's no reason for this. Except in this particular instance, I actually support Jerry Jones just a touch. Now, I want to be very, very clear, and I want to reiterate my same position that I've always had. I believe that Ezekiel Elliott should be one of the top two running backs, top two paid running backs in all of football. And if he were number one, I got no problem with it. I got no problems with it. I got no problem with Ezekiel Elliott getting paid, and I have no problem with him getting paid sooner than later. I just don't think that he should be in the leveraged position everybody else thinks he should be in when it comes to squeezing Jerry Jones at this particular juncture. I don't mind the thought of Jerry Jones making him wait a month. I don't mind the thought of Jerry Jones taking chances and saying, okay, Dak Prescott, I'm trying to sign you. You just sit there asking for $40 million a year. Excuse me, let's see what you do against the Giants. Let's see what you do on the road against the Redskins. Let's see what you do against the Miami Dolphins. Hell, I might want to see what you do against Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans on September 29th. I might want to see that before I give you this damn money. I don't mind that position from Jerry Jones. Because to me, both are plausible. In the case of Dak Prescott, you're going to get at least 30 million. But is he going to let, but, but Dak Prescott, I'm fixated. I have to get paid more than Carson Wentz. Well, Dak Prescott wasn't asked to do what Carson Wentz has been asked to do. Now, granted, Carson Wentz hasn't been to a playoff. Dak Prescott has been there twice. Carson Wentz wasn't on the squad, meaning in uniform, when Nick Foles led them to a Super Bowl title. He was injured. He comes back last year. Even though he was 11 and 2 as a start of the year before, last year it was just 5 and 6. 
And even though everybody and their mother should know that Carson Wentz is better than Nick Foles, the fact of the matter is the best ability is availability, first and foremost, which Carson Wentz didn't have at his disposal. So if you're Dak Prescott and you have been available and you went, you did go to the playoffs and won two division titles two of your first three years in the National Football League, I can understand why you are dogged about maintaining that position of not relenting by one stretch of the imagination and taking a penny less than Carson Wentz. But let's keep in mind, if you're Dak Prescott, you have not been asked to do what Carson Wentz was asked to do. From Jay Ajayi to Wendell Smallwood to Darren Sproles or anybody else, we know what the, the Philadelphia Eagles' success was predicated on. It was predicated on that quarterback throwing that damn football. Whether it be the Nelson Aguilar, whether it be the Alshon Jeffries, whether it be the Zach Ertz or anybody else, the Carson Wentz responsibilities far exceeded that of Dak Prescott because Dak Prescott primarily had Ezekiel Elliott to hand the ball off to. So if you're Jerry Jones, that's an excuse as to why you wouldn't pay Dak Prescott what you paid or what the Eagles have elected to play Carson Wentz. But to me, I understand it. It makes perfect sense to me. I'm just looking at some numbers here. And you're looking at the Eagles leading rusher. Their leading rusher was Josh Adams. Forget the 511 yards. He had 21. He had 120 carries. Between Josh Adams, Wendell Smallwood, Corey Clement, all right, and Jay Ajayi, four different backs barely had as many carries as Ezekiel Elliott. So you understand how the Eagles utilize certain guys. All I'm saying to you is, If you're Jerry Jones and you don't want to pay Dak Prescott more than Carson Wentz, it's plausible to me. And then in the case of Ezekiel Elliott, well, damn it, you've been a knucklehead. You're not an act. You got suspended. You're getting called up to the commissioner's office. You body checking dudes at concerts and stuff. I mean, come on. I can't have that. And you know how it goes. Folks believe the more money you get, the more emboldened you get. When it's particularly when you're a kid. You're going to feel a bit emboldened. And Jerry Jones is going to question that. And I think that's the dilemma that you're looking at right now, and that's what you're working against. That's what you're having to deal with. And I think that's something that should be noted. I think Jerry Jones is sitting there. Now, don't get me wrong. I think he's playing a dangerous game because he could get caught up in himself just a little bit and forget that the Super Bowl title is the focus here. The Dallas Cowboys is considered to be a team that's a legitimate Super Bowl contender with their best team in years. Their defense is stout. No doubt about it. Offensively, you got a quarterback. You got a number one wide receiver option in Amari Cooper. You've upgraded from Cole Beasley to Randall Randall Cobb in the slot. And if you got Ezekiel Elliott, you should be able to handle your business in a lot of people's eyes. For me, I'm not so sure. I'm not as sold as some of you other folks are. Some Stephen A., Terrell Owens, Jerry Jones talk. That's not all we had on the show today. Earlier, Dan Lebetard getting you ready for Dorian. And then, of course, Greg Likens and Brian Monroe talking to Dave Hyde, getting you ready for tonight's Saints-Dolphins preseason game. It will be exciting, and it will be heard here. Pre-game, post-game, the whole game, 560 The Joe WQAM. I'm Dan Day. I am going to go to Titanic Brewing tonight and drink a few beers and have a good time. Roll by the U and hope that the U win next weekend and also hope that Dorian passes us by. Stay safe. Have fun. 
tomorrow night, 6 o'clock, right here. It will be again the best of the Joe Show. Later, slug. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.